Thanks for tuning into this podcast from KYMN Radio. You can find more of them like it on our website, kymnradio.net, or wherever you get your podcast. Simply search the KYMN Radio Podcast. Joining us now in our studio is uh, Northfield Superintendent of Schools, Dr. Matt Hillman. Matt, thank you so much for coming in today on a stormy day. Yes, it's great. We're getting some much-needed rain, Jeff. I know that... uh we have really wanted this, so. Yeah, certainly needed it. At a school board meeting. We did. Wide a bit of attendance last night. And we of course did have the big some thing attendance last night, yes. Masks. And we're going to get to that in just a moment. Yep. But I want to get us, get rid of, some, or get rid of, <laughs> go through some of the business that you handled sure. beforehand, because uh, kind of focus on that for just a few minutes here. Uh, let's start, I guess the big news, you, you uh, have an agreement now with the teachers union. Yeah, we we have a tentative agreement with the teachers union that the board approved last night. So uh, the agreement with the Northfield Education Association, of course, that's our largest group of employees. That's our teachers and uh, all the other uh, professionals who fall within that contract, like our speech language pathologists, our social workers, our school psychologists. So everyone who's uh, got a professional license in that um, and providing direct instruction to students typically fall within the teacher uh, association. So a little more than 300 members of the union. And uh, we're very pleased with the agreement that we've come to with them. The union will vote on it uh, in a few weeks here when uh, people return, actually next week when they return to, to campus. Um, but we're really, really proud of the work that we have done with the Northfield Education Association. The negotiations that we've had over the years have been very thoughtful. They've been deliberate. It's been this balance of making sure that we can provide a really competitive compensation and benefits uh, for our teachers while also making sure that we can have a long-term plan for stewardship and for uh, making sure that we can sustain those positions as long as we possibly can. As you know, we've talked about state funding before and how precarious that is. So in general, the agreement uh, includes a 2% salary increase for teachers in each year of the agreement. There is, a, for the first time in some time, we've got an increase of 5% in each year to the district's contribution to health insurance. It's intended to offset, uh, we had the first increase to our health insurance premiums since 2012, this past January. So I think for anybody listening who uh, knows anything about how your health insurance premiums have gone up over the years, Northfield Schools has had a great run with our self-funded health insurance program that has really maintained stability in the premiums for our staff. Um, But we did take an increase this past uh, January, and so we increased the district's contribution to help offset that. We did a major thing in terms of the salary schedule. And so we reduced the number of steps in the salary schedule from 15 steps to 10 steps. uh, And um, that's going to make our starting wage uh, much more competitive. Uh, And it was also a result of something that we were uh, working on to come into compliance with the state's pay equity law in terms of the total number of steps that uh, all of our units have. And is there a major difference between different groups and uh, between male and female? And so uh, bringing the teacher uh, contract down to 10 steps helps us with our pay equity status as well. And then it also really makes our beginning wage much more competitive across the region. Uh, we also did uh, honor the people who have worked for the district the longest, and we've added an, a longevity increment for staff who have worked for the district for 30 years. And then we did a number of other language kinds of things, and one of the things we really focused on is how we use time and what, how, how staff can use leave, and so some work around uh, leave time. Now, all told, how much will, uh, will this cost, I guess, the district on an on a annual budget basis? Is there a, will be, there be a sizable increase? Or? So over the next two years is a total package increase of 8%. 
All right. Superintendent of Schools, Matt Hillman, is with us. Um, while we're talking about uh, the employees and such, you have some jobs available as we approach the school year. You yeah. need a few positions filled still. I, I know a number of uh, employers in the community can uh, sympathize with this, that uh, we know that there's fairly low unemployment, and we are looking for a number of positions for this school year yet. So if you want to make a difference for kids, you want to come and join a great team that is really focused on kids' success, we encourage you to go to northfieldschools.org forward slash employment. We've got some positions for educational assistants. These are folks who typically work one-on-one or with small groups of students. You don't need a a teacher's license to apply for that. Uh, Competitive rates, and we would really encourage you to apply. We've also got some positions available in our child nutrition department. Uh, There are a few licensed, a couple of licensed positions left. Uh, We're always looking for substitutes in all of those areas. So uh, just like schools across the state and other employers, we are still looking for people as we start the school year. So if you want to make a difference for kids, you want to do something special and, and make a contribution to the Northfield community, northfieldschools.org forward slash employment. All right. Uh, the uh, MacBooks that the uh, teachers have, it's time for a trade-in, and uh, you've got, uh, we were talking before we went on the air, you got a pretty good deal for the ones that uh, you're trading in. Yeah, so really appreciate the work of Director of Technology Services, Kim Brisky and um, our Director of Finance, Val Murdestorf. They worked on putting our previous MacBook Air, or excuse me, MacBook Pro, and there are some MacBook Air laptops out for bid. So we do a leasing program where we can get all of the teachers um, new computers at once. We pay for them over several years. Then what we do is we take those and we sell them, and we have a bidding process that we use for that. Uh, Companies will come and bid because they will resell those computers as well. And so we had thought we would get around $100,000 or so for the 370 laptops that we were selling as one unit. We can't sell them, you know, one here, one there. We put them all out to bid so the company can takes all of them. And uh, what we got was the winning bid was from a group called Tech to School. And they're what they call a minimum guarantee bid is $140,000. So quite a bit more than what we had anticipated. And uh, depending on how they judge uh, how in quality in quality of shape the equipment is, the high offer would be $192,000, which of course would be significantly more than what we had anticipated. What we do is we use those dollars to turn right around and pay for uh, quite a bit of the new the, fir- the new lease that we have for the new teacher computers that we got at the end of uh, last school year. So really appreciate Kim Brisky and Val Murdestorf working on that. It's, we, had, uh, we had more than 10 bids, I think it was in that 15 to 16 range. Um, so really competitive market for those used computers. Superintendent Hilmet is with us from the Northfield School District. You also received several uh, improvement plans uh, last night from the elementary schools, the ALC uh, Portage, which yes. is uh, something uh, you're doing new this year. So tell us about those. Yeah. So uh, as you know, this is the time of the year where we do school improvement plans. And I'm really proud of the work that our three elementary principals have done together. Scott Sanis at Spring Creek Elementary, Nancy Antoine at Bridgewater Elementary, Sam Richardson at Greenville Park Elementary. For the last several years, they've been doing an across-the-district elementary schools school improvement plan. We want to make sure whether you're a fifth grader at Spring Creek or at Greenville Park or at Bridgewater that you're getting a similar education, that you are in uh, what I would call earshot of uh, the, the kinds of content that you're getting at each of uh, the other buildings, um, and that we have a unified approach to making sure that every elementary student is progressing uh, both from an academic and social-emotional perspective. So our elementary principals have been, been collaborating over the last few years in terms of creating one plan for all three elementary schools. And so they came forward last night. They uh, gave some real heartwarming stories about what they learned in the uh, unusual school year that we had last year. 
they laid out their goals for the coming year, some very specific goals. Um, when, for example, when it comes to reading, they're talking about specific goals in uh, our younger grades about teaching students about the consonant, vowel, consonant uh, sounds. And so there's that, you get that level of specificity and then also talking about how they're going to make sure that they continue to improve supporting students in their social-emotional learning. So just this real range uh, of goals that are within the five different uh, strategic commitments that we've made to the community. And so our elementary principals uh, have just done an excellent job. And our elementary staff have just come together over the last several years like we've never seen it before. It's You can really have, uh, in, in a lot of school districts, elementary schools can kind of operate as independent contractors. And you want each building to have its own character, its own culture. But we also want to have a team approach across the entire school district. And so our staff and our uh, principals and our director of instructional services, Hope Langston, have just an excellent job in aligning those goals so that regardless of where, what third grade classroom you're at, we're trying to work toward the same things for our students overall. Superintendent Hillman is with us. Let's move on uh, because the big thing last night was some of the uh, safety protocols that uh, the school has um, uh, the school board had discussed and heard from a lot of people last night. You had, uh, I don't want to say a full house. I don't know if that would be correct in saying oh, that. Oh, yeah, we, lot, had, we had a full house, yes. <laughs> a lot more people than you normally do come and speak uh, both for and against the uh, policy of uh, requiring masks in school. Tell us about that. Yeah, so as you know, on August 9th at the last board meeting, the board adopted uh, the indoor masking requirement. Now, Really, what they looked at is they looked at the safety measures that we're using for this year. The face covering requirement is one of those pieces, um, but it was a, a variety of safety measures. And I, I want to come back to say, from the safety measure perspective, we're in a much different place than we were a year ago. If you recall a year ago, Jeff, I was talking to you about hybrid schedules. We were talking with you about all sorts of uh, one-way hallways and how we were cleaning classrooms multiple times a day uh, to make sure that we were creating a, as safe of an environment as practical. Last year, we had 600, over 600 students in our Portage program, and that was really an emergency response to the pandemic. We're continuing the Portage program. It's got just l less than 100 students this year. Uh, but the point is we had a very different time last year because people just didn't know enough, right? And we, we probably still don't know enough, but we just we know so much more now than what we did last fall. So at the August 9th board meeting, the board did adopt the set of safety measures that did include the face covering requirement indoors at our schools. And so we have started to work on implementing that over the last few weeks. Several things are coming forward because, unfortunately, we're back in a time where things are, had been changing fairly quickly. And so what we had looked at last night is um, adding some more definition to some pieces of how we're going to implement that face covering requirement. Last year, the face covering requirement was something from the state level. So we had an executive order that laid out what were the exceptions because, of course, there are reasonable exceptions uh, to when a face covering is required. So we adopted some procedures last night to talk about um, there are some people who will be exempt, right? And you say, well, who would be exempt? Well, we have some students with some severe disabilities who can't remove their uh, face covering on and on. That's the kind of person that would be exempt. We have some other students who may have a, a behavioral issue where their physician says it just isn't reasonable for them to have a, wear a face mask. And in that case, we'd try to work with them on a face shield or some other kind of safety procedure. So the, what we looked at last night were these procedures that would govern some of the exceptions. And so it's things around, as I said, some medical kinds of exemptions. It also talks about when people can temporarily remove their face cover. So for example, if a staff member is in their classroom alone, they don't need to wear a face covering in, in their classroom alone. Those are the, another example is in our childcare. 
when our, our children are taking a nap, obviously that's the time for them to remove their face covering. And remember, these pieces are only for indoors. And what we have learned over the last years, we know that outdoors is far safer. It's very safe compared to indoors, right? So we're talking, there is no mask requirement outdoors. We're talking about things indoors. So the procedures really walked through, you know, what are those uh, exceptions for people if they truly have an exemption, medical, behavioral, from, and they've got uh, some physician um, there, that a physician has said that they have those kinds of circumstances. Um, there is some very limited piece for if a person with a deeply held religious belief um, wore, wore clothing uh, that a face covering would interfere with. Uh, that's a possibility. It's a very narrow possibility, and we'd consider whether that was worn before the pandemic or not. But it goes through those kinds of exceptions, Jeff. So that was one part of it. And again, uh, in general, when you walk into a school building, you're going to wear a fa- we're asking people, requiring people to wear a face covering. Um, the procedures last night laid out those handful of pieces. Then we also adopted some procedures governing the state high school league. So as you know, we are waiting for the guidance from the Minnesota State High School League. When we talk about interscholastic competition, this is where the change from having a statewide approach to having a local control approach really can become very difficult. Um, as we know, there are many school districts in the state who have also adopted a universal masking procedure, and then there are others that have not. And so when we go to local control, that means that local communities and their school boards have the decision. And so our, we use the state high school league guidance to create some uh, specific uh, um, exceptions for state high school athletes. best way I'm going to describe it is this is, again, for indoor only. Um, basically, if you are an athlete actively participating in a drill or a competition, and you are on the court. So if we give the example of volleyball. Raiders are playing volleyball. Our six players on the court can be unmasked. The, the players that are on the sidelines, the coach, the officials, the scorekeepers, you know, those folks will all be masked. Um, we did create an exception for spectators at interscholastic activities because we have people come from all sorts of places. It is a true choice for whether you attend those events or not. So and that's the one case indoors where we're strongly recommending but not requiring face coverings. And I just want to come back to the why because I know there's a lot of passion on this issue and it become it comes from a good place in everyone. Everyone's sick of this. In fact, I think there are fewer people that are sick of it than me. I'm sure there are many people who are more sick of it than I am, but we're all tired of it. Um, it is frustrating. The goalposts do seem to keep moving on us. We think we know, okay, if we can get to this point, then we're done with this. And unfortunately, that's not the way this is working, Jeff. So we, we've had quite a bit of feedback about this, and we come back to our why of prioritizing uninterrupted in-person learning. We know the most disruptive thing last year was when students had to quarantine, whether that was through a, a, a good exposure at home or an exposure in the classroom. We're trying to protect that school environment so that we can keep kids in school because we know from our school improvement plans last night that that is an incredibly important thing for us. And the CDC says that if both students, if there was an exposure at school, and both students involved were wearing a, a well-fitting face covering, a well-fitting face mask, then students don't have, the student who is the close contact or was exposed, not the person who tested positive, doesn't have to quarantine. So that's going to dramatically reduce the number of people who would have to quarantine. And when we think about the expert advice that we're getting, Jeff, the expert advice from public health and, and our medical professionals is unequivocal. They are saying that they are, they are requesting that school districts adopt a universal masking approach 
to protect in-person learning. We're talking about the American Academy of Pediatrics. We're talking about uh, the Centers for Disease Control, the Minnesota Department of Health. This week, all superintendents in Minnesota received a letter signed by representatives from the Minnesota Medical Association, the Minnesota Academy of Family Physicians, and the Minnesota chapter of the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics. Public health, all, all of the major and reputable places are strongly recommending that districts adopt a universal masking approach to limit the spread and to keep kids in school. And it's, it's because of the Delta variant, Jeff. And so I understand, and I understand that there are some, some people who are really angry about this, and I, I'm truly sorry for that. I, I do feel badly for the situation that we're in. Our job is to try to make sure that we can provide a quality education for kids every day and when I have the medical experts telling us and telling our board that these are the things that we need to do to maintain in-person learning, that is, that's the advice that we're going to use. And so I'm really sorry for people who are angry. I understand it. I'm a dad myself. I want it to be, to be back to normal. We're just not there yet. When you, um, you mentioned before a moving target, and it's still a moving target, the goalposts are kind of moving around. At what point, which data will you be looking at? Is that Rice County? Is it Northfield specific? Is it statewide? Are you getting guidance from outside? At what point and what number are you looking for to, to I guess, to call this off, to put an end to this? Do you see that happening uh, this year? Yeah, so I, what my hope is is that we see that happen sooner rather than later, Jeff. Here are the three pieces of data that we're going to look at, and it's going to be really trying to be as local as we possibly can. So we're going to be looking at infection rates, right? When we talk about infection rates, we're going to talk about how many people in the county and within doing the best we can to look at that within the school district zip codes um, have tested positive for COVID, right? That's one piece that we're going to look at. Another piece we're going to look at is illness. When we look at illness, that's hyper-local because we're actually using the reported influenza-like illness rates within our school building. And the Department of Health gets concerned when you see 5% of students absent uh, with those influenza-like illness um, symptoms. And then the third piece we're going to continue to look at is the vaccination rates. So, you know, what we know is we have a significant chunk of our students, a significant portion of our student body who's not yet eligible for vaccination. And so our face covering requirements most likely, I just want to be transparent, is most likely going to last much longer for those students who are yet to be eligible for vaccination. Our latest calculation shows just slightly more than half, around 54% of 12 to 17-year-olds are vaccinated. So we're going to look at those three pieces together. Now, you and I have talked many times, and you know I like to give you a number, right? I'm a data-driven person in a lot of ways. And what I, I'm not going to do right now is give those specific numbers yet, right? Because the fact is that we need to see all three of those things come into alignment. And we've all been frustrated when some other government official has said, if you get to this percentage, we'll remove this or we'll do this. And then all of a sudden, there's some kind of change. So we're going to have changes. Um, it's, it's absolutely fair to say what's the goalposts. Uh, we'll continue to work on looking at those pieces of data, but it's really going to about, about those three pieces of data together. As you know, we've got also strong advocacy from Northfield Hospital and clinics, and the uh, the I think the I think it's fair to say quite a bit of the medical community. Over twenty, we had twenty eight people sign a letter from the local medical community, strongly advocating for our universal masking policy. So we'll also be looking uh, to them in terms of helping us look at that data and determine what those next steps would be. Looking at the people, uh, you you had a number of people who spoke last night. Yes. Uh, some in favor, a lot of them uh, against that. Uh, you put that together, you know, you get a room full of people, and that's there's a dynamic there, and it's there's certainly a visual with that many people, but. Overall, have you gotten a lot of emails, uh, calls prior to last night's meeting uh, of people stating their opinion? 
Yeah, we've had a lot of feedback uh, in the last probably, I would say, you know, month and a half or so because we started getting some messages in July. And, and frankly, as I told you before, uh, the, what I thought with the school year was going to be like uh, in early August was very different than what we ended up doing at the August 9th board meeting because things changed very quickly. As little as a week or 10 days before, we really thought we were progressing toward what we would have called a regular school year. And, of course, we know that it really turned on a dime for uh, Minnesota as we've really seen the rates increase and, you know, of course, concerns about this new variant. So we have had a lot of feedback. Um, I haven't counted all of it, um, but what I will tell you is that uh, the the feedback that we've gotten, especially in the last week or so, uh, it, it clearly trends toward people who are supportive of what the district has done. Um, there are also people who have shared their real anger, um, and I mean that, real anger about the decision. And I respect that. I don't blame anybody for being angry. I'm, I'm not upset with anyone who is really, really angry about this. I, I get it. We, we're tired of it. We all want to be done. Um, the flavor of the feedback that we have gotten in the last week or so has really tilted uh, strongly toward people who are supporting the decision. And at the end of the day, it's not about support. This is this is not about that. This is about us taking the expert medical advice, Jeff, and trying to operationalize it so we can prioritize uninterrupted in-person learning for our students. All right. Uh, Matt, we're out of time right now. Thank you so much for joining us. Certainly appreciate it. Best of luck to you as you try to navigate the uh, the 2021-22 school year. And we'll be here with you, Jeff, to share our thoughts along the way. We appreciate it. All right. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Superintendent of Schools, Dr. Matt Hillman. Rich and Tim coming up. Will frontline workers have to pay taxes on... Jessica Paxton here, host of All Wheel Drive, weekdays 3 until 7 p.m. on 95 The One, featuring an eclectic mix of great music, live in-studio performances, and keeping you posted about cool gigs around town. Don't miss All Wheel Drive on 95.1 The One. Thanks for listening to this KYMN radio podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it interesting, consider leaving us a review and sharing this podcast on social media. You can find more podcasts like it on our website, kymnradio.net, or wherever you get your podcasts, simply by searching the KYMN radio podcast. And of course, you can listen to us live on 95.1 FM, 1080 AM, and on our website. KYMN is your home for real radio, true variety.